How's it going, everybody? My name is Austin. I'm with Apostles Attic, and I'm with my friend Ryan. Hello, my name is Ryan, and you can find my personal stuff over at AIIW.org. I'm glad you could join us today for some faithful dialogues. All right, and today we are going to be continuing with our um, story that we were doing in Genesis about two episodes ago. And we were going to go through the whole Bible and basically explain how the entire Bible speaks about Jesus. And in the Gospel of John, um, Jesus was saying to the religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is them that bear witness about me. And again in John, um, for you believed Moses, if, uh, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. So basically, I, um, which would be the Pentateuch, right? So we can start with the first five books and just keep going from there. And the last place we left off was the Flood. Okay, let me uh, pull that up here so we can see that on the web page. All right, so we're here uh, and we are seeing that uh, God's promise to Noah. Oh, that blocks you out. Sorry, there, there we go. Okay. Sorry, I only I have two screens, but uh, <laughs> when I cover one, it messes up the uh, Discord video, and so, all right, you're all good. We have it pulled up, and it's God's promise to Noah in chapter nine. Uh, what did you want to uh, say about that? Um, I guess we'll just recap. Uh, so God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply." And this is post uh, flood, right? Um, mm -hmm. And fill the earth, and the fear of you, and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air and all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea they are given into your hand every moving thing that lives shall be food for you i have given you all things even as the green herbs but you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Really quick. Can you explain this, that last part for me? Uh, verse five. Yeah. Like uh, go up really quick for me. Mm -hmm. So basically when it said, surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. Is that kind of, okay. So, but you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its lifeblood. And that's like a separate thought from verse 5, right? And then it's continuing mm. in a different thought. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. Is this saying, like, if somebody kills you, I demand their blood? Is like is that what's going on there? So it's saying that in in verse 4, um, and you have a lot of, like, static coming through, just so you know. I don't know if there's a way you can fix that. But uh, what it says is, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. So it's saying that there is something special about blood, and that it's so special that the meat that you eat won't have blood in it. So that you're supposed to drain all the blood out of the meat that you're going to eat. And you'll see that show up in Jewish practices later on when they're given the, uh, the law by Moses uh, later on in Exodus. You'll see that the standards that they have mean that you cannot, you know, eat meat with its blood in it. Um, and then because there is something special about all blood... Surely, for a human's blood, which is even more special, I will demand a reckoning. So if human blood gets shed, 
there will be a uh, there will be something that happens because of that. God is going to demand a price for someone who intentionally spills that blood is essentially what this is saying. Um, and then it says, from the hand of every beast, I will require it. Okay. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. And it's saying, remember back in chapter, what is that? Three or four when Cain and Abel and God shows up and says, uh, so Cain, where's your, where's your brother Abel? And Cain replies, well, who am I? Am I, am I my brother's keeper? This verse is saying, yes, you're your brother's keeper. Okay. Does that make sense? Um, it's kind of kind of flesh that out for me. What do you mean by that? From from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. So everyone is responsible for their brother, and we're all brothers. So at this point, there's only there's only four men. Uh, there's also four women as well, and so from those three three brothers, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, all of humanity comes. We're all related to one of those three brothers, and we're all related to Noah. And so there isn't a separation between humanity. There isn't some black race. There isn't a white race. There isn't an Asian race. Race is not a thing in the Bible. It's all about different families. And so all these families eventually get spread out around the earth, and we have different characteristics because of the places that we end up. But that doesn't mean that we aren't all part of the same human family. And so what this verse is setting up is that because we all share, we all have human lifeblood and because there is something special about blood, then because of that, we all are responsible for each other. We're all responsible to if, if a man's in trouble and, or if there's a person that's in trouble that needs help, you're responsible to go help that person. I believe is what this versus saying even even if you didn't cause your brother or your sister to come to harm if they're in harm's way and you don't do anything then you're not acting according to what god's prescribed for humanity and you can see that on people's consciences uh, a lot of people if they were to come across somebody that was in pain or hurting and they didn't help them it would you know be something that eats away at them and, and makes them not uh you know not not feel good <laughs> So they, it almost like I had to read this, I had to read verse five, like three times, but I, cause I thought basically there was one kind of thing going on here. Truly for your life, but I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it. And from the hand of every man, this kind of sounds like if somebody, if whoever kills somebody that, that, that thing or animal or man's blood is going to be required. Right. Cause they, that, that's just kind of what it seems like. And then it, it seemed like also from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. It almost seems like if you kill your brother, then your life is going to be required of you. That's the way I took it at first. And then I kept reading it and reading it and reading it. And these are like, so verse five right here, for surely your, uh, for your life, but I will demand a reckoning. And from the hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of every man. And then that's, that's like point one, right? And then point two is a little bit different. From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Because this isn't implying like death here. It's kind of, I kind of see what you're meaning, seeing about like the responsibility part of it like yeah you know what I mean? so yeah surely for your lifeblood i will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast i will require it and from the hand of man from the hand of every man's brother i will require the life of man and it's just saying that you're responsible to not hurt other people and and i extrapolated a little bit from that out to say that you should probably go help them 
and I think that's that's biblical as well. It just you know from the hand of every man's brother, I will will require the life of man. So I'll, I'll support that because um in like the very first like chapter of Exodus, Moses like kills that Egyptian, right? Mm -hmm. And then all the way in Acts, um, I thought I was like okay when I first read this, I was like so um. <laughs> Moses murders an Egyptian like super quick in Exodus and it's not even like they just like brush right past that and, and then you get to Acts like all the way in the New Testament and Stephen is being like on trial with like the Jewish rele mm -hmm. leaders and stuff yep. like that and he basically says Moses who came to like who was sent by God to help the um, the, the the Hebrews? They didn't recognize that um, God sent Moses to go help him those um, those Hebrews right there. So there are times when people are oppressed and like like wrongfully wrongfully oppressed, and God will send people to go fix that. It, do you know what I mean? And it's yeah, uh, uh, interesting, right? Mm-hmm. So Definitely. all right, let's let's move on here. Um, I guess whoever sheds man's blood by blood, uh, by blood, by, ah, whoever by sheds his blood. man's blood, yeah, by Sorry. man, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God, he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and his sons by him saying, then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him saying, and as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you and all that go out of the ark. Every beast of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you. And every living, uh, me and you, and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Mm -hmm. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living, living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become... A flood to destroy all flesh the rainbow the rainbow shall be in the cloud and i will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between god and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth and god said to noah this is the sign of the covenant which i have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth all right so, so now i i want to point something out before we get into anything else um who is the rainbow for uh, the earth, uh, the P uh, okay. So it's, it's a covenant between God and the earth and it's a sign to humans that they're not going to get flooded. That's kind of what I just saw. The rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Okay. Do you but see what, also, I, do you see what I'm highlighting? And I will remember. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. for us. The rainbow is not a sign for us. It's it's to remind God. Correct. And so it's funny, the people that are saying that, because uh, obviously the rainbow and pride and everything, we're coming up into June and that's going to be a big deal. Um, but everybody says that, that people have taken away the, the, the rainbow as a sign and are using it for horrible purposes. 
No, what they're actually doing is they're taking that sign and, and every time that they use it, it's a reminder to God that he's not going to destroy us again with the flood. And ultimately, what's going to happen is that we won't be destroyed with a flood this time. It's going to be with fire uh, when we ultimately get destroyed uh, in the future. Uh, spoiler, <laughs> spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Uh, I, I don't know if 2,000 years is long enough, but uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, it's like, 4,000 to 6,000, I think, for the Old Testament. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, you know, I just wanted to point out that no one can take that sign and change it. That sign is a sign to God that will be used by him to remember that he, you know, he had mercy on us and that he wants to spare us, despite our horribly evil wickedness and the the evil degenerate things that we've done to defile this planet and and everything holy <laughs> that we can at least all right and so post flood god gives his covenant with the rainbow and now where do we go from there where does humanity kind of go from there in this history textbook we got here <laughs> yeah so uh and I, I like that you called it that it absolutely is a history textbook in a certain sense I believe that this is the story of humanity as opposed to the story that's told by scientists and by current modern historians that say that at one point we were lesser and then we evolved to be greater and they carry that into our culture as well. So a lot of evolutionists and, and scientists in general and historians believe that man at one point was in a hunter-gatherer society and then we morphed and changed and evolved and grew in our knowledge and understanding to become a technological society like we are today and it was a steady progression from lesser to greater well in reality adam and eve had a far greater understanding of the universe than you or i do and so to say what kind of technologies or what kind of machines and tools and things that Adam and Eve had at their disposal before the flood, I couldn't even imagine. And how long were they living? They they each I don't know how long Eve lived. I don't think it says, but Adam lived to be over nine hundred years old. I think it was about nine hundred and thirty, uh, somewhere had in nine that lives. range. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, but you know, so just imagine he's a, a being that has directly communed with God has a complete understanding of what the Garden of Eden was after he ate the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And now he's been put onto the earth. I can't even imagine what that kind of a person would accomplish. He is the perfect, he was the perfect creation of a human and the, the least flawed of us all in a certain sense. Right? And so... Uh, yeah, it's hard to kind of wrap my mind around it. I don't even... Like, so I don't... <laughs> so, so what the Bible teaches me and what historians teach me are, are diametrically opposed i believe that we were at a greater state of society and culture and and possibly even technology before the flood we lost that we had a we had a stumbling and we went back to uh, uh you know obviously in the flood everything got destroyed and so that may be, and so when you see noah come out the other side there isn't a time when he builds culture he doesn't go and turn into a hunter-gatherer society for a thousand years he actually just shows up and they it just goes into them starting to do stuff so it's it talks about noah you know the ark blessed there noah lived after the flood 350 years so all the days of noah were 950 years and he died okay so he lives for a total of 950 years at 350 of which are 
after the flood. Okay. And so he's got a ton of time to be, he didn't revert back and become some dumb hunter gatherer that didn't know the stuff that he learned from before the flood. Okay. I think That's the only crazy, yeah. <laughs> and so, so him, his, his sons who were all born before the flood as well. Okay. They, they weren't born after the flood. And so they're also probably, I don't know what their ages are, but they're probably old enough that they know what's going on, that they've seen the, the wickedness and, and evil in, in society from before the flood. And now they're, you know, also, they also know all about all of their technology and, and whatever advancements they may have made. And so, you know, I just, I think that we were in a much higher state than what we give them credit for, because now we see... I believe in, um, okay, so in chapter 10, it's going to list all of the nations of the earth, but really what, what they are is it starts off as families, okay? So in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and sons were born to them after the flood. So they, so each of these three had sons, and like I've been saying, these, uh, the, Every human being can trace their lineage back to one of these three brothers. And so then it goes and it lists all of the different, what are what are then called tribes, okay? And so these are the first sons of each of them. And so I believe that there ends up being about 72 tribes or families that are connected to these three brothers, ultimately. And so what we see after the Tower of Babel, I believe. Uh, so this this whole chapter is just listing off names of families and stuff. Do you, do you want to read that, or do you want to just kind of skip over it? The names of families? That's more of a study thing. Yeah, so, um, you know, if you want to know all the names of the families, go in and study Chapter 10, uh, because you can then go and start connecting these families to real-world, actual nations. Modern-day people, mm -hmm. yeah. Modern-day people, modern-day tribes... So you can uh, and find out where your ancestry connects to those people, and then those people connect to these people in the Bible. And exactly. So, yeah. Yep. And so what you'll find is that a lot of the names here are different than what you'll see today in modern times, because you know we're we name we're looking at their names in English. These are names that are being translated from ancient Hebrew. There's a lot of changes that have happened in that time frame. But my belief is that every single person can can trace their family lineage back to one of or all three of or a mixture of all of these different families. And so that, you know, that's important because what it teaches us is that we're not different. There isn't a subhuman race of people there. They're, human beings are human beings. If you're not a human being then you're something else, you're an ape or a monkey, and you're not talking, you're not interacting, we can't have children together, okay? And so if you can, if we're all human beings, we, we all share uh, lineage all the way back to Noah, I shouldn't treat anyone else differently based upon some characteristic, like their the color of their skin, or how big their nose is, or some stupid, you know, some stupid characteristic that would be evil and wrong to, you know, to judge somebody by. That, that's what the Bible teaches us, is that we're all part of the human family. And so that, that's the importance of chapter 10 in the Bible. I would also imagine if I were to go and do a study on these different names and the meanings behind the names, that would be uh, beneficial as well. There's probably a lot of knowledge in there, but we don't have time to get into 
all those little nitty gritty details. That could be for like a future episode or something. We can definitely nitty gritty that for a uh, little bit. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll definitely touch on different things about it, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, we'll move on to chapter eleven, and this is going to be a chapter that more Tower people, of Babel. yes, are familiar with the Tower of Babel. Um, I want to uh go over this very slowly. Okay, so as you read it, I might stop you. Um, the reason for that is a lot of times the way that this is taught to children, or if you've just kind of read this over real quickly, you might not see some key details that I think are very important. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we'll want to look at what the state of these different things are. What are they complete? Are they not complete? When does God show up? What is complete? What isn't, what isn't complete? Okay. Okay. So I'll leave it vague right there, but uh, I'll, I'll uh, highlight some things as we go. If you want to start chapter I'll 11, start verse 1. Paragraph, yeah. Yeah. Um, go ahead and scroll up just a little bit for me. Yeah, sorry. All right. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. I imagine like speech kind of meaning dialect or something, but it, 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 it came. It just means language. Okay. Um, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. Okay. And they said... Um, okay. So, just one thing to notice, it's being very specific as to the types of materials that this building is being made out of. Okay, it tells you that it's in the land, the plain in the land of Shinar. Now that might not mean much to us in, you know, 2022 mm -hmm. or 2023. Wow, we're in 2023. My gosh. Um <laughs> uh Don't but, think about it. But, you know, in it, Shinar is a place that whoever wrote this that meant something to. And then it says specifically they made they had brick for stone, so that's made out of certain materials, and they had asphalt for mortar, and that is another specific material. And so, especially in, in ancient times, there weren't, you didn't just have the ability to go and order whatever you needed to off of Amazon and have it shipped to you. So if you wanted to build something, you had to use the materials that were in the area. And so, like, the Egyptians would go and quarry their, uh, the, the, the stones that they used for the pyramids at a place that was in Egypt. Now, it was really far away, and it's impressive that they were able to move those giant stones as far as they did, but today we'd put it on a truck and it'd be there in 20 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah. maybe not that quick, but it's practically that, you know, that, that close, right? And so, in the Tower of Babel, there is a specific place called the Plain of Shinar, and we can try to determine where that is based off of the types of materials that exist in different areas. So if we think that one place is the plain of Shinar, if it doesn't have the materials you need to make bricks, and if it doesn't have the material or whatever you need to, to have asphalt for the mortar, then that couldn't be the place, right? And so we're, giving, we're given very specific details as to what this location is. So this is not mythology. This is not, you know, some story that's being told around a campfire. This is someone who is trying to communicate very specific information and at le at the very least the author who i believe is god but the author had a 
a very specific place in mind. Whether or not there was a tower there, you could debate that, but the author had a specific place in mind, and I believe that there was a tower there. Okay, so uh, we'll continue back with uh, verse 4. All right, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Okay. All right. Did you want me to keep going? Uh, yeah, let's keep going. All right, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there all... Wait. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city okay so that's a good place to stop Let, let's go back up to verse 5 and it said but the lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had two built things. okay yes so the city is one thing he came down to see the city and the tower and i think very specifically this is one thought, the tower which the sons of men had built, okay? And my belief is that they had finished the uh, the Tower of Babel. So when I got taught it as a kid, somehow the impression that I had was that the tower was never yeah, built yeah. because yeah. I was literally like point blank told by, by adults that the point of the tower was to go up into space, <laughs> Okay, I was told that, like, it was supposed to leave the earth and go into heaven. And and the reality is, is that that's not exactly the purpose of the Tower of Babel. The purpose of the Tower of Babel was to go and to meet with God on man's terms. That, that was its purpose. It was to elevate us up to God. So instead of God having to come down to meet with us, we or could go like, up to meet. Here I am. Well, yeah. we... we we can go up to meet with God and be on his level on our terms with our sin. Okay. And so they had completed the structure that would ultimately be the tower of Babel. And that might still be standing to be completely honest. It is possible that the tower of Babel still exists and is standing somewhere. Uh, unless, unless does it say he destroyed it? I'm not, I can't remember. Maybe he said he destroyed. No, he just scattered them. Yeah. Yeah. So it is possible that the tower is still standing. Now, the part of it that wasn't finished at the time was the city. And so, um, and the Lord said... They ceased said, building the city. Yes, they ceased building the city. They didn't cease building the tower. The tower had already been finished. That the sons of men had built. Yes, exactly. That's past tense right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and again, this is a, uh, another segment in this uh, passage. Um... It, you know, it says in verse 7, let us go. God is using a plural for himself. Capital plural. That's yes. Uh, so that's an interesting uh, phrase. And you'll see that pop up in different places in, in Genesis and throughout the Bible yeah. where where God refers to himself plurally. Let us make plurally. man in, mm -hmm. in our image, yeah. Yep. 
And so as Christians, we believe in the Trinity, and this is one of the building blocks that we would use to build the foundation for the belief in the Trinity. So we can complete that uh, structure when we get to the New Testament with Jesus and the claims that he makes, but we'll get there when we get there. Um, and so what we see is that this, this ziggurat, so it, it ultimately is what's called a ziggurat. And we'll go to, uh, let me see if I can find you a picture. The city, uh, er, okay. So it would have looked something like, can you see that? Let's see how that shows up. Uh, yeah, I can. Yeah. It's, it's no, it do, the problem is it's not in view for the audience very well. Uh, I don't know how to fix that on the fly. All right, I tried. But it, it looks like the uh, like a ziggurat that you would find in the in, in the ancient Mesopotamian area area. Uh, and so it'll be a, a temple that's got steps going up and then it's got a flat top at the at you know a flat part at the top. Uh, that's where different rituals could be performed. If you look at the Aztec temples of this kind, you'll see that that's where they performed human sacrifices and horrible atrocities. I'm not sure what these people at the Tower of Babel had planned. My guess is that it wasn't to do human sacrifice and that it was actually probably very much closer to meet with God. So you would imagine that these people have the stories of Adam and Eve. They have the stories of Noah and they're all related to one of his sons. And so they know very directly that God is a real being that can be communed with and that their ancestors, Adam and Eve, directly walked with him. And so they want to kind of try to get back into the garden or get back into an area where they can directly be with and communicate with God. And that was their sin. They knew that they knew that that wasn't right. They had been taught that in in Genesis, Adam and Eve got told that they could never go back to the garden. And so human beings, the, the story of the rest of humanity is God, find, you know, ultimately bringing Jesus about to save us from the consequences of our sins and humanity just finding more and more new ways to sin and to do things, you know, horribly evil and wrong. All right. Uh, what else do you have for me? You have any questions here or uh, what do we want to do here? Because now we're just getting into kind of genealogy stuff. So, uh, yeah, right, go, so the Lord's, oh, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll, we, I forgot this, the scattered part. Um, so let's say, uh, so in, and we'll just go, we'll start with chapter six. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Uh, one thing to note is that to babble comes from that term. Uh, so if you, you know, you're, you're a person who babbles on and on, you are uh, have you have that is a term because of the city of ba of Babel, and so there's a a few things from the Bible that show up even in English. Babel would be one. 
Uh, Lament is another, and we'll talk about that when we get to that book at some point. Um, and so then it gets into the genealogies, so it'll tell you the genealogy of Shem, uh, Ham, and Japheth. And uh, then it just goes into a bunch of genealogies and gets us all the way to Abram. And so Abram yes. is going to be the next big character in the Bible. And so right now his name is Abram, like the tank. And later it will be changed to Abraham. And we'll see that story uh, as we read it coming up. Uh, so Terah. So Abram had a father. His name was Terah. Uh, and Terah had a grandson named Lot. So Abram is Lot's uncle. Uh, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son, Abram's wife. So one thing to note at this point, it is not culturally as disgusting to marry people who are your brothers and sisters and definitely not half brothers and half sisters. That would be because with Adam and Eve, that wouldn't have been a problem because everybody at that point would have been brothers and sisters and all that horror and all that stuff that we would find disgusting. And then that all got restarted again with Shem, Ham, and Japheth when there's only three brothers. It's hard not to be married. You know, you can't not marry a cousin. And so uh, what we'll see here is that Abram and Sarah, or Sarai, his wife, are actually also very closely related. Uh, she is uh, Abram's half-sister, I believe. Uh, and so that's important later. Abram passes Sarai off as his sister in two different, in uh, at least one different place, and so technically he's not lying when he does that. Go go up really quick. Where where do we segue into even kind of this story? It's literally um, just genealogies. Oh, go go down, go down. So right at the end of the genealogies, it starts to segue into uh right there the Terra, um lived 70 years and we got um oh i guess yeah yeah okay I, I, it's still it's still in like the okay it's right there the daughter uh milka and the but sarai was barren and she had no child i guess not i was i guess not it does start in 31 okay yeah i i i got it i got it started right where the the story started so um okay why don't you start reading for us at 31 all right and Terah took his son abram and his grandson lot and the son of heron and his daughter-in-law sarai and his son abram's wife and they went out with them from ur of the chaldeans to go to the land of canaan and they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay. So, we're going to move over to chapter 12. And here is the Lord talking to Abram. All right. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. That's interesting. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth, sh 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is interesting. Is God speaking to, uh, directly to Abraham right here? Yes. So God is promising Abraham that in him, get out. he's saying, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house and go to Canaan. And if you do this, I will make your name great, I being God. And, uh, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I want to, again, say families, not races, not, you know, not just white people, not just Jews. All the families of the earth will be blessed. So that means everybody. So again, no race in the Bible, just families. All right. So yeah, this is Abraham's, this is the first promise that is being given to Abraham. Uh, and so we see it based on his faith that Abraham has to get out of his country from his family. And so we see, uh, yeah, let's read on from verse four. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son, and all of their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. Canaan. Um, so they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land of to the place of Shechem, as far as the Terebinth tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were in the land. That was a lot. That was a, <laughs> that was a mouthful. <laughs> then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent... Bethel, and he pinched, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Okay, let me read that one more time. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still towards the south. Okay. So that's Abram's first uh, excursion into Canaan, uh, but he then goes on and continues the journey down into Egypt. And so this is where we see Abram first get into Egypt. This is the first place that we see Egypt show up in the Bible. And what we see is that Egypt is already a fully formed and functioning society. That's so, so crazy. But so are so are all of the city states that Abram came from, right? Yeah, like, do you know anything about like Canaan and those like little places, like Horeb and like all those okay. little places? Okay. Well, so so Canaan and Horeb are different. I, I'm talking about for, originally. I was talking about Ur of the Chaldeans, oh. where Abram comes from. That was a fully functioning society of of people that had built a giant ziggurat. That Isn't it was, in like Iraq or Iran, modern day yeah, Iran or something like that? Correct. It's in that it's in that Middle East area, the Fertile Crescent, as it's called. And oh, okay. so uh that city is able to exist because of the rivers that are there. So that's a fully functioning society coexistent with Egypt. And then we see Abram go down into Egypt as its own fully functioning kingdom society, and we'll see him interact with the king there. But again, I just want to point out that what the Bible teaches us and what it shows is not the, a slow, gradual evolution of human beings from 
tribal and and hunter gatherers into city dwellers from the beginning of humanity we've lived in cities and we have had societies where we are are good we are not good to each other but where we can do commerce with each other where we can can work with each other and and families are living life next to each other and then you eventually you know this person moves out builds a house this person moves out builds a house Mm -hmm. and then you just it just kind of turns into a city we're all living life next to each other and then there's like a a, a city off in the distance and i'm gonna trade my this for your that and then it just becomes kind of that's just kind of what it is exactly well and the other thing is uh, people might say that when the tower of babel was destroyed that turned people into like hunter gatherers we don't see that anywhere they just immediately go and begin starting to build new cities. See, uh, see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So you never nowhere... see that in humanity that they were just like throwing spears at stuff. Like, I'm not yeah. saying that never happened, but <laughs> yeah, it's of, like, of course, yeah. we still have hunter gatherers today. But I think those are people that learned how to survive in a certain area using certain techniques. And that they kept doing that because that's what that area prescribed, but they they lost something. It's not like they were at a. It's not like they started off at that lower point and then we progressed into something bigger and greater. That's that's what I'm trying to say. I think that those people could be civilized. They originally were part of a group of people that were civilized. They got separated from it. They are under some weird tribal chieftain thing. They're the they're weirdos that should be brought back into the fold of society, and so uh, okay. my belief my belief is those tribes in the Amazon. My belief is there's a a tribe in India that hasn't had uh, contact with human beings in thousands of years. Other human beings for thousands of years. Obviously, they are human beings themselves. Other than their own. Yeah, I believe <laughs> they should be brought into human into normal human society in the 21st century. Right they would be better off if we could figure out how to get them to be normalized with us. They could have modern medicine. They could, you know, actually not have to go and hunt for their food. They could get, through, you know, guaranteed meals every day. Like, What is it like when in a, like a society when you don't have to worry about like your shelter then and you don't have to worry about like your food yeah. and start worrying about other things? Like what is that? I can't remember what that so- is. So that's called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so right yeah, now, okay. all of these tribal people are at the lowest portion of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They don't even have where their next meal is going to come from 100% worked out. Like, yeah. obviously, I don't know exactly where my meal's coming from, but I know that Stater Brothers is going to be open tomorrow, Lord willing, right? <laughs> but they yeah. don't know if their trap's going to have a, a rat in it for them to eat. Okay, that's that's the level that these people are living at. And it's not a good beneficial thing. We're not being good people by not going and bringing society to them. We're actually doing them a massive disservice. But because of, you know, TV shows like Star Trek that that talk about principles about not going and intervening with people because of stuff like that, we've got it in our brains that we need to isolate these tribes and keep them from from being brought back into the fold of the rest of the human civilization we should interact with them and offer you know like hey do, do you want these things do you want like let, let me show you how to farm let me show you how to this we, we should approach them and offer 
civilization to them. We don't have to force it upon them. They can, I, 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 you're going to have defectors yeah. that want it, you know? I, I think that, so in, in the case of the place over in India, it's illegal for me to try to go there. Now, it's also, they also try to kill you if you try to go to their island, but I don't think that we should be isolating them and not, we should be trying to go about uh, making contact with them and, and not they isolating Indian? them. Uh, I'm not sure. I think they do. Most uh, okay. like they're they're the same. India is part of like South. They're South. Uh, they're South Asia, right? So, so I imagine if you have some tribe that people haven't seen in like a long time, that they might they either look exactly like mainland India or they look some other thing. Right? Uh, so I'm it, like curious to see what they look. But we wouldn't know. We wouldn't have photos of them, right? We don't have up close photos. They have dark skin. We've we've got decently good photos of them. Just not like. You know, they sat down for a portrait at Sears photos. Uh, We've got, like, they they came out, people on a plane took, you know, super zoomed in, telephoto lens pictures of them, that sort yeah, of stuff. I imagine they're, they're dark complexion because they're in the sun a lot or something like that. I, uh, I think that they're, they're so they're, they have black skin. I'm not sure if it's Indian, if it's related to Indian or if it's related to, so there's a lot of aboriginal peoples on the islands in that area. So they could be, they could have been an Aboriginal people that, uh, that sailed up there to that island. I don't know. I don't know what their their genealogy is. But at one point, they were part of normal civilized human society, and then and they, they got defected. separated. But yeah, well, they after the Tower of Babel, everybody got scattered to go and and go across the whole earth. Oh, their descendants were civilized, is what you're saying. Yeah, my their oh. dis, their dis, their descendants were ancestors. Yeah, their, Sorry, ancestors their ancestors were were in a city. Okay, at some point, their ancestors were in a city, and so we try to treat them like they're some different people whose ancestors were never in a city. No, the Bible teaches us. That these people were at the Tower of Babel. They lived in a society of other human beings that had all of this technology, good enough to build a giant tower that they wanted to go up on and meet with and commune with God on. Okay, that's not nothing. That's not hunter-gatherer spears. That's way more than that. And and language we language and technology and architecture at this point, like like it, that's a lot at that exactly. point. Exactly. And so what happened is they got spread out and they got. Uh, you know they they got isolated and they got put under some crazy weird ruler that you know lost all that stuff for them right they had a bad leader that took them down a bad road and they got stuck on this horrible island where they haven't been able to progress for 2000 years or 4000 years or however long it's been and so that's yeah i imagine if i moved off to an island with my current knowledge um I imagine I wouldn't have people to correct my thinking, and I imagine I'd come up with some interesting stuff. You know, exactly. <laughs> well, and the other thing is, you know, how long would your shirt last, right? So, oh, then you end up being these people that like uh, have loincloths from leaves and stuff like that. And well, well, what are your children gonna wear? You know what I mean? Like your shirt that you're wearing will last you like maybe a year of heavy like work, and you having to chop down trees and you know we'll dig say, ditches. Uh, right extremely conservative no we'll say like extremely liberally like five years yeah Let's exactly <laughs> like that's like that might be how last it lasts how long it lasts now <laughs> right you, you know what i mean it might not last five years now but you know imagine on the island it's not going to last nearly that long so 
literally your kids are going to be in not that they're going to be naked well they're going to be in whatever clothing you make for them out of whatever you got on the island and so they immediately look like you reverted back to stone age technology (laughs) oh that that's really interesting because like especially if you had a couple sheep or something hairy on your thing and you fat you know fashioned some uh clothes or some kind of or even if you had some kind of plant that you could take the fibers and spin together to make some kind of you know thing you it's you're gonna get down to like you're gonna look like you're wearing leather or some really old sackcloth or some <laughs> you're gonna look interesting mm-hmm. for sure. But but the other thing is, do you know how to do any of those things? Would you know how to take a sheep and turn its wool into a shirt? Not with my current like set of skills for sure, no. You know, and so <laughs> so like it, you would look real crude for that first couple generations. And so yeah. that's my belief is that those people that are stuck on that island, that's a curse. That is not a good thing. You don't want to go live that life, okay? And so for us to not be attempting to reach out to them, not attempt to show them that we have all of this incredible technology and all of these wonderful things that could help ease their life and make them you know, uh, significantly healthier and, and happier in many ways. Okay, one of the things that, that's gross to us as Westerners is you don't realize how many parasites these people have on them or in them okay like they're like they literally need vaccines pronto or something like <laughs> they need they need anti-parasitic you know what i mean like they're literally they they get they have all of these creatures sucking their blood <laughs> oh that's so interesting okay well, that's unfortunate. i don't mean it like right it's like good. like would you want to live without would you want to live with a with a with god knows what it's just Something horrible. Something bored under my skin and has been sucking yeah. my blood for like oh. five years. Ringworm, yeah. tapeworm, all sorts of worms. It's just the worst. How, and it they is... also probably have to deal with like viruses and different stuff too. Yeah, I can't imagine it's um, a gr- good life. Uh, so hopefully that... they've developed sanitation practices and <laughs> different things, but I don't know. Doubtful. Um, but the but the other thing is like, yeah. So I I my heart goes out to these people. I don't find it to be a a beneficial thing that we're isolating them the so it's only inhuman to uh, uh, not like inter- not not intervene but to not like approach them they're gonna try to kill you but to say like hey dude we've got food like, like yeah you know we should be like <laughs> we should be air dropping them food we should be like trying to figure out how we can communicate with them oh, dude, you know send oh, recordings man. right we should be sending drones that can like give them a me- like we could send like uh, Indian uh, Bibles translated in Indian language and well, they, they, uh, dropped down in like a care package. I don't know. <laughs> they don't know how to read. They don't have they don't have written language, to my understanding. Um, oh. And so, but, but what we could do is we know roughly what their speech is like, and we can um, we can send in a robot that's got you know a uh, 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 speakers play audio. Yeah, but we could have a we could have a Skype chat with them because oh uh, my. Okay, like so you, you can, can drop like this little cube and it has a little screen and speakers and you can yeah. just connect to that like that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Holy cow and just be like, "Hey, we're on the mainland. Are we can we come in without you spearing us to death?" And like yeah. your own language. <laughs> exactly. Funny. Exactly. And they may see us as some kind of like gods for a minute, but as soon as we show Until up we and show we're them just how we did it. And we're we, just human we take beings. Take the Wizard of Oz curtain off and we're just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But again, um, it's not it's not a kindness to isolate them, even though they don't want us to come on the island as it is. They right? perceive their lifestyle as comfortability, but they don't understand they're not comfortable. And exactly. That's the whole thing. They're, they, they would tell you that they're happy, and that this is a huge issue with deception as a whole. And I've been thinking a lot about this because like, I've been looking at people having debates, and it's like, I want to say that if you follow biblical principles that you're going to be happier. And somebody's going to say, well, if you look at these statistics, you could say that this person who's actually a prostitute in Las Vegas, they're very happy. And it's like, yeah, well, you're going to report happiness when you're living in sin and when you're deceived as a whole. So it's like you don't understand until you submit yourself to God and you live the life and you know, that mm -hmm. he has planned for you how amazing it actually is and how much life and abundance and blessings there are. But then it, it's like deception's wild because you think you're good. You think you're fine. And it's just like uh, you you don't even ask for help because you don't even know you have a problem. That's mm -hmm. how wild deception is. Like it's it's I don't know. It's yep. Sorry, absolutely. Sorry for that no, that's perfect. <laughs> I I couldn't agree more that that you know they're they're being deceived and and that that's a that's an issue. Obviously. All right. So uh, do we want to keep walking through the Old Testament? Where are we where are we at? We're in Egypt now. Abram is in what Egypt. I wanna... What I want to do really quick is let's just speed run um, through. And obviously there's going to be points where we um, we take we stretch it out a little bit. But um, let me just kind of get to Isaac and then let me get to um, the, the sacrifice attempt. Let me get let me just let's just start reading this really quick and we can talk about that. I want to get to Jacob and Judah and like the tribes and stuff like that, because once we get there, it'll start to it will we'll get close to, you know, Joseph. And then we, that's kind of ultimately what I'm trying to get to. I, I want to just get through the, the, the heroes of the Old Testament and because there's a ton in Genesis and there's like like um, I, you know, what is it? Is it Isaac and Rebecca? Is it is it Isaac and Rebecca or is it Jacob and Rebecca? I don't know, the, oh, where he had to work I, with his, her, her dad for seven years, and he's like, psych, you're working seven more years. That was, like, ja uh, that was Jacob. Yeah, okay. he's like, I don't even care. Like, it, it, yeah. So he did care. He was very upset by it. But that, we'll, no, we'll get know, into but... all that, yeah. Um, okay, so Abram goes into Egypt. Uh, he, he lies to the Egyptians and says, well, uh, again, it's a half lie because Sarah is his sister, but she's also his wife, and what happens? Not fully honest. Yeah, yeah, but well, and and in a way that could lead to some massive problems, because what what happened at that point was the was Pharaoh took his sister from him and put her into his uh, into his harem, okay. And he understood that the Lord was. So, there was something that Pharaoh knew that God had power. I remember because he's like, yes. dude, you could have caused me to have some mm -hmm. like. You could have stumbled me hard if you if you like if I would have followed through with this, I, I could have been like cursed by your God kind of thing. Like it, it was like he understood that the Lord had power, which is interesting. And these are like the former pharaohs, because once you get to the pharaoh that's like after um, Joseph that didn't know Joseph anymore, Egypt starts getting ran in a completely different way. But so like, yeah, so uh, here here's where um, here's what you were talking about in verse seventeen of chapter twelve. Uh, we see here, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Did Why you did know? you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, well, I think God. God spoke to him. 
See, this is the wife. He must have um, surmised by getting plagued. <laughs> yeah, because there is a there is one where he where where the person gets a dream. I think that's a so. There's a two very similar stories. There's one in Egypt here where Abram passes Sarai off as his sister, and obviously Pharaoh gets upset. Um, and then another one where the exact same thing happens, but God then gives that person dreams. Uh, so this one, it just seems like the plagues. I think he just knows because of the plagues somehow. Again, this might be like one of those, um, they just have context because they're closer to the creation. They just know the Lord. Like, like you can't not know God at this I, point. Like you're, you're so early in humanity that just everybody knows God is God. Like, so I, that's I, my opinion. Uh, I understand where you're coming from, and I, I don't, I don't disagree with the thought behind what you're saying, but I think by this point things had started to degrade very severely. Okay, was this like several thousand years after creation. This wasn't. Th this wasn't. Well, okay. So it was. So there's creation and there's after Noah. Okay, those are two separate things. So you could say that it started after Noah, like it, kind it, of like, it, a... like Noah had no perfect knowledge of who Adam and Eve were. He might have even been alive at a point where they were alive as well. I, I'm not sure about the genealogies. Oh. So it's possible It's possible no one knew Adam. Like, I, I haven't done the math on that, but that's, that's a, that is a possibility, okay? And so, you know, Noah had perfect knowledge of God and who he is. Not perfect, but had enough knowledge to be saved. And so he took that after the flood and obviously passed that down to his children, who also might have been born at a point where they could have known Adam and Eve as well. I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not sure about that, but it's close, I believe. And so, um, you know, what we see in, 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 in that story is that, uh, you know, what we see is that, that, that since then that, that knowledge has degraded, the farther you get from Noah, the more and more degraded our understanding of who God is and, and how to worship him is until God interjects himself into the story and changes things. And so in Egypt, I don't think they were following the one true God. I don't think they were worshiping God, the father in Egypt at that point, they probably no, already I, had, I their had own. knowledge of him. I, I don't know. Cause if you're not worshiping him, I don't know what your knowledge of him would be. Right. If well, so, let's say, all... There's so things like Horus and and Ra and all that other stuff. I just think that they thought that the reality was that everything was polytheistic and that there was just a bunch of gods everywhere. Like, so then, so, that so the then Lord they was don't. One of them. Well, uh, they they might have included the Lord as one of them, but ultimately that's not even the same God. Like that would just be saying that oh we're worshiping some other like he's not just one of a bunch of gods, right? He is the creator no, of the universe, and so. If you look at the the mythologies that they were going by at that time, my my belief is that all of their gods are actually demons or fallen angels, whatever the the technical term is, Benaiha Elohim. They they are actual real beings that have powers that would seem super that are superhuman, but they're not actual angels. They're not sorry. They're not actual gods. They're just created beings by God that have extra powers. And then they deny God as the creator, or they they say they defeated God as the creator, at least in the, the Greek version of these stories. They defeat God and lock him away, right? And so I, that's my belief, is the that's the, the, the religion they were worshiping. So 
they the the demons claim that they defeated the creator and locked him away and then later on they might let you worship a god that they call you know god but they wouldn't but it would just be another one of multiple gods not the creator does that make sense when sorry i'm i'm skipping over a lot of stuff when jews show up on the scene they're an actual people group that have a plot of land at that point other people start worshiping their god as a regional god before then i don't think we see god being worshiped like he's a regional god before that oh i see what you're saying right like how, how so like so it's you'll like coming to America, you kind of think that like, oh, everybody here is Christian, so I'm gonna just like kind of go to church because I'm like I'm in America or something. Like, kind of, that would kind of be like how how you're describing that or something. Kinda, kinda, but, but yeah. So that that might not have made much sense. So we'll we'll just move on. Abram is in Egypt, and he's passed his wife off as his sister. That caused the Egyptian pharaoh to be mad at them. Um. And then we see that he sends him. Then we see that the Pharaoh sends him away, but doesn't actually hurt him. Probably because he believe he sees that there is some connection between Abram and it's maybe God. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how that all works out. So we move into chapter 13, uh, where Abram inherits Canaan. Then Abram went. Uh, so you want to read that? All right, then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and there Abram called the on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's, Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Okay. So is this kind of saying like my manager and your manager are beefing, but we're cool? Uh, no, it's kind of the opposite. It's all it's of like the we're herd. Not cool, but so uh, all of the herdsmen. So there's only so much land, and they're and, and Abram and Lot are trying to live together, and they're both being so successful that the land can't support the thousands and thousands of animals that they have on it. <laughs> and so, so when there's a well the herdsmen are fighting with each other to get water out of the well. When there's a field that, that has some grub, you know, some shrubs for the sheep to eat, they're fighting over those fields to have the, the sheep go graze in them. And so they both realize we're both being so successful. We have to go our separate ways at this point. We, we're going to try to stay close to each other as close as we can, but we can't both be living right next to each other anymore. So I'm, so Abrams magnanimously says, I'm going to let you choose where you want to go. Lot go chooses, and then he's going to go the opposite direction. And so Lot decides, I I'm going to go over towards the uh, the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's actually a third city that gets spared, but the well, but that's that comes in a little bit. What is Abram and Lot's relationship? 
as we saw earlier, Lot is Abram's nephew. So he is the grandson of Abram's father, Terah. Okay? And so he, he really cares about Lot. He has a, you know, he, he loves him. And, um, yeah, so we'll see that that, where that goes. Yeah, so in, and in verse 10 it says, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all of the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord. And so he basically goes, man, this place looks like the garden of Eden. That's where I'm going. And then Abram is going to go the opposite way. Um, and ultimately what okay. we see is that Lot chose to go towards the land that had all of the the things that he needed to live on, but it was also close to some cities with people in it that corrupt his, his character and lead him into some some horrible things. And I guess Lot's character isn't 100% corrupted, but it, it's an interesting story. So we'll... He was, uh, um... Yeah, we'll, there's we'll, a... We'll skip to that. We'll skip to that story, actually. So, oh, actually, sorry, before that, I'm going to skip... I'm going to talk about a story in chapter 14 of Genesis. I highly recommend that you go and read this. So this is actually very important to Christianity and to our... Uh, our high priest today, funny enough. And so in chapter 14, who's that? Who's our, who's our high priest today? Our high priest today is Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and, uh, do you know whose priestly line he is in? Uh, David. Nope. Uh, the king, Kings cannot be priests in uh, Jewish custom. So he is not, uh, so David is not in the line to be high priest. Uh, a high priest must be a Levite, specifically a son of Aaron. Aaron Moses? Um, I believe. Uh, and what we see is that that is a Jewish high priest, but our high priest is not in the line of Jewish high priests. He is in the a line of Gentile high priests. Uh, uh, I don't understand. Yep, and you will find out right now. So uh, what we see in chapter 14 is that Lot gets ca taken captive by, uh, so here it is in chapter 14, and it came to pass in the days of Amphrael, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Cherdolamar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adama. Okay, so we see this big list. There's two different sides, both of which have a bunch of kings on them, okay? Uh, and what we see is that all these joined together in the Valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Cheldorlamar, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Chedorlaomer, Chedorlaomer, ugh, cannot pronounce that, and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephaim in Ashtaroth, uh, and basically they, they attacked each other. Okay. Um, and the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zerudah against Shurudah. Now, full of asphalt pits, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Okay. So basically there is a, uh, a fight between two different sides that each have a bunch of different kings that have, 
allied themselves against each other. It's actually kind of, it sounds a lot like a description of like World War II with a bunch of entangling alliances. All these different countries are coming together to fight each other. Um, but what we see here is that Lot, Abram's nephew, gets caught up in this political turmoil. So there's these, this big war that's going on between a bunch of different kingdoms. And we see in verse 12... They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. So they took and they kidnapped Lot, and that brings in Abram. Okay? Then the one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite brother of Eschol. So somebody in Lot's house goes and tells Abram about what's going on, and so that brings Abram into this whole fight. Okay? And so ultimately... Uh, what we see is that now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And so he Dan's had an army, he had Jeez. a, he had his own 300 person army. And these are, and these were people that were trained to be part of his army for their whole lives, oh, basically. What? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to have like 10 sons. I'm gonna train them all for freaking battle, dude. <laughs> but they, no, the, these weren't his sons. These were people born to like servants and stuff in his household. Oh wow! So these weren't. He didn't have uh, his own sons at this point. He had just been so successful in absolutely everything else that he had been able to get this whole community of people around him, and so he had enough wow. people that he could go mount his own raid. And he went and he uh, he took on the other army that had stolen Lot defeats them. And then what we see is that what he does, um, then uh, what we see is that Abram and, Mel is Abram and Melchizedek in verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, which uh, I believe means king of righteousness, brought out, or is that, yeah, I believe it's king of righteousness, brought out bread and wine. He Bread was and wine. Hmm. He was the priest of God Most High. Let's just highlight that. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And, and he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Okay? So... This is where we see Melchizedek enter into the story, and so... Who's like a very vague character. So he is a very vague character, and what we see in Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is a high priest in the line of Melchizedek, not in the line of the Levites, okay? So why, dude, that's... Uh, so we know nothing about Melchizedek, and then it's like, yeah, Jesus is a high priest in the line of Melchizedek, it's... Uh, it sucks because these people would have known about Melchizedek, and I feel like you have to like study Jewish literature to know about Melchizedek. Or something uh, like I I don't I don't think we need to see anything outside of the Bible in or in order to understand what the Bible wants us to know. What I would say is that we aren't supposed to know a whole lot about him. What we're supposed to know is that he is a Gentile who serves the Most High God, or God Most Are High. Is a Gentile? I mean, he's not. There are no Jews. Oh. <laughs> the a Abraham makes sense. Oh, because wait, the founder of the Jewish nation is Abraham with the covenant of circumcision, yes. right? Okay, exactly. 
And so there are no Jews. And so he has to be a Gentile. And so we see Abram, who is uh, giving offerings to God Most High through this high priest. And so interesting. So there still are servants of God, but nobody's a Jew at this point. Exactly. There's always that's been. So, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. There's always been servants of God. The the, the I Jews guess you just have to delineate from Hebrew because uh, I've, I've always I've conflated Hebrew and 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 Jewish together because they really are. But what, like... what do you? What, why do you? Why Hebrew and Jewish are the same? That's the no. I mean, like because Jewish uh, people Abram speak Hebrew. No, I'm saying like these people. Melchizedek was probably like Hebrew. Noah Hebrew. No, all these people no. Hebrew. No, no. Oh, okay. Then I guess they're I Gentiles. I'm, I'm missing something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you're missing. Hebrew is the language of the Jews. Oh, I, I, I guess he, I just don't understand. I thought that was like Hebrew's also city or something of Jews. It means Jew. Hebrew equals Jew. The same thing. <laughs> I guess. You, yeah. I just, like you can literally use them interchangeably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I did not know that. But th this is so Melchizedek is outside of all of that. He's not Jewish or in any way Hebrew. Okay? He he's a Gentile. Um okay. So what we see is that uh that Abram takes time to go and receive a blessing from Melchizedek after giving him a tithe. And so this is where we see the tithe instituted not that we are all commanded to give 10 percent to the church uh, i don't believe that that's a a command that we're given anywhere in the bible but in this circumstance after a great victory when there was a uh, a, a lot of spoils to go around uh, abram came by and gave melchizedek a tenth of that to honor god most high a really quick call to action if you think that we as christians are supposed to tithe uh put that in the comments and um we'll we'll have to go over that and discuss that but go ahead continue i want i want some people to challenge a point that we make and we'll have i want to bring some people on and stuff i think that'd be really cool yeah that'd be interesting all right so we'll move on um what, uh, what else is there? So we've got, um, all right, Abraham, Abraham, I guess we're leading up to the, to the covenant at this point. Um, yeah, we're leading up to Isaac and the camp and Hagar, and that's basically where we're at, I think. Yeah, here, why don't you ask me some questions? <laughs> I don't, I don't know exactly what you want to do here. So. All right, so let's. Um, I I'm kind of just uh bullet pointing and um, take me to where uh Abram is, um, gets a promised for a child or or something like that. Let's do that. Okay. It's probably this. Yeah, this is it's it's probably Hagar and Ishmael. So wait, wait, what about Hagar and Ishmael? So I just it, went, so there's like a promise to Abraham that he's going to get a son, and then um, they can't seem to wait, and then Sarah offers Hagar to Abram. Is, um, and this is the promise of Isaac, but instead uh, produces Ishmael, which ties into like a um, whole other like sect of people. That I think, I think um, it has to do with like Islam and like, Palestine and like stuff like that. I've heard people say that like um, 
Palestinians can trace like bloodlines back to like Ishmael and stuff like that. So like... there there is no group of people that are Palestinian. That is a that's a that's a made. I'm up, doing the same like, thing with Hebrew. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So so pa so the 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 people groups in the land of Canaan are very. It, it's a very uh, hot button issue. But the Palestinians are not a historic group of people. All right. So if you look like back in the biblical time, there was no group of people called Palestinians. What what Palest what Palestine is is it actually is the Roman word for Philistia or the Philistines. So there are a group of people that oh. used to be the Philistines, okay? But these pal these modern day Palestinians are not Philistines, but they are using the 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 names all get jumbled up and mixed up because of because there's Roman versions and and Western versions and all sorts of stuff. But That's but really Palestinians and Philistine, but Palestine and Philistine mean the same thing, I believe. Um, so yeah. All right. Uh, I okay. I, I I I we need to do more preparation for this, I guess, because I I don't I can't just search through and and pick out all of the important like verses at this point, unfortunately. No, I just want to. I just want to read through until we get to um, to like Abraham, uh, to Isaac. Read through what? Because uh, like we're just gonna sit here and read everything. Um, no. So I wanted to. I just wanted to read where God promises um Isaac to Abraham, and then um, kind of go through a little bit of that. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know exactly where that is. I think you just had it. It was like three chapters ago. God's covenant with Abraham. I think it's in here somewhere. Okay, re re if you want to read, just uh, just read then. All right. <clears throat> After these things, um, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, "Do not be afraid, a Abraham. I am your shield. Um, your your." There's this something on the stream. I can't see it. Um, your exceedingly great reward. Um, yeah. But Abram said, uh, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? I don't even know who that is. Uh, then Abram said, uh, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my. Uh, indeed, one born in my house is my heir. I don't know what he means by that. It, no offspring. What you... Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So his house are group or a group of people that are more than just his wife and but they're not his descendants because he hasn't had any children so it's just his servants so one of his servants had a child named Eleazar who is now his right hand man and if Abram were to die Eleazar would take over all of his inheritance oh I see okay. because Abram doesn't have any children Okay. All right. And scroll down for me. <clears throat> and behold, <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. 
Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars as if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. That's crazy. All right. Um, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness, which is a huge, that's a huge key phrase. Because like, I know that this kind of, this is how Abraham got saved. And this is how you got saved pre-Christ is, right? Is it's, that that's he how believed you've, in the Lord. So you've always been Sorry. saved. Even oh, now. Good point. It's not any different now. Uh, my my belief and and what the what what I see the Bible teaching is that every human being that will end up in heaven will end up there because of the blood that was spilled by Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for the remission of our sins. Every single person. What people in the Old Testament are doing is they are having faith in and hoping in the ultimate coming of Jesus Christ. They've been promised that from the from all the way back in Adam and Eve, where where it's promised that the uh, there's going to be a man who crushes the serpent, right? Um, so we see that all the way back there, there's a promise of human beings being saved, and so we can continue to look for that promise even here. All right. Then he said to him, "I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it." And he said. Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two, down the middle and placed, down the middle and placed each piece opposite to the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. When the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, whoa, uh, that's interesting. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Scroll down for me. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a, <laughs> to your fathers in peace. That's interesting. It's like saying we're going to go see our family when we die. You shall be buried in a, uh, at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. So it's like a hundred years is the generation, I guess. But in mm -hmm. the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I don't know what that means. Um, but that that was really interesting. So Abraham gets this, uh, you know, interaction with God, and then he goes to sleep, and darkness and horror fall upon him, and he's like, yo, your descendants are going to be slaves in a foreign land. And it's like that it's, uh, what what's going on here? Is God just kind of, giving abraham a prophecy or is or is this like a curse like what's kind of going on here well it's certainly not a curse absolutely not in any way shape or form is this a curse no 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 this is this is a huge blessing so this is uh this is a huge blessing on abram um so you know god's god's just blessing him for 
uh, when he's saying that um, know certainly that your descendants scroll up scroll up really quick um, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years and also a nation um, whom they serve I will judge afterwards they shall come out with great possessions like why is he telling Abraham that your descendants are going to be strangers in a foreign land because this is because he's that's how his descendants will know that that's what's going on does that make sense like this is prophecy that's being given to abram so oh, that so his okay. so his children will know what to look for and so they can they'll know that that they're part of this plan because of the fulfilled prophecy that they see um my video cut out No, my, uh, okay, yeah, we need to figure out something other than Discord. So, I, yeah. What happened? I, it's, it's, a, everything's a mess, but that's fine. Okay, we'll keep going. All right, let's see, uh, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Do you know, um, who the Amorites are, or what that means? They're a, a group of people in Canaan. Okay, and basically saying, like, they're gonna, they're gonna, have a bunch of sinful actions and they're not done doing those things yet uh basically what happens in the 400 years where abram leaves and goes into egypt and and out of that family turns and in that time the family turns into not abram uh israel goes into egypt and in that time the family turns from a nation and goes from a nation and from a family into a nation what what is happening over in Canaan is uh, basically Satan is setting up what will all of the traps that he has laid for uh, the Israelites once they come back into the land. And so I think that's what is being said here that uh, I That's okay. Um, I don't know. All right, so where where was that? All right. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Whoo! Um, Alright. Let's move on to the next chapter. Let's see where we're at. Yeah. Alright, sweet. Now Sarah, Nesarai, um, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, uh, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, 
So he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. All right. Go up a little bit for me. Um, then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave, I gave my maid into your embrace. When she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So is she kind of understanding that they did something bad here? Yeah. Interesting. And and two, um, I thought it was interesting that it said Abram heeded the voice of his wife Sarai. Um, it's kind of the also the predicament of the garden, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's <laughs> it's supposed to be kind of like this. Um, I don't, I don't know. God gives instructions to the husband. The husband's supposed to carry out those instructions, but then we ended up, um, you know, he heeds the wife of his wife. That is alternate instructions from the Lord, and then bad things happen. Um, exactly. Um, so Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence. Uh, sorry, go up a little bit. I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Um, do you happen to know what Ishmael means? It's something to do with uh, affliction. But no, not specifically. No. All right. He shall be a wild man. He, his hand shall be against every man. Then he's going to be like fighting, punching people, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. That's interesting. That's like, uh, it's like speaking to something there. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, I have, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. Observe it, it is between Kadesh and uh, Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar born Ishmael to Abram. All right, we're getting close to Isaac here. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you 
and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and me and you and your descend uh, sorry, me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and after sorry, uh, every uh, and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So you can't like... Once you're in it, you're not out of it. Like, if he, is that kind of what he's saying right there? Mm-hmm. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Uh, go up a little bit. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is one hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I wonder what he's saying right there. Um, then God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every mill among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins. That very same day, as God has said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he circumcised, when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and, uh, and his son Ishmael. And all the men of his house born in, the, uh, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. That's interesting. So that means... Um, Abraham, or sorry, Ishmael is also a part of the Abrahamic covenant. I, uh, kind of, pick up on that. kind of, why kind of, I mean, it, so they're not part of the Abrahamic covenant in that they don't have any of the blessing. 
Yeah, Ishmael was circumcised, but that doesn't that doesn't make him a he Jew. Just a, he just got a different blessing. He he begot twelve princes and was like a father of many nations and stuff. But the that's interesting. But he goes, but my covenant will be with Isaac. But yeah. Then why did he circ? Then why why circumcise? Because it was his um, whole house. Ishmael. He also circumcised servants and all sorts oh, of people he, that aren't Jews. It was his job to fulfill his duty. Yeah, that. That's uh, what God commanded him to do was his whole house. Okay. Right. So let's just quickly recap. We've read a ton of scripture. Um, so Abraham, let's talk about, you know, Abraham, let me try to recap in my mind. So Abraham was living in Ur. He was a resident of Ur, which is kind of like, mm -hmm. um, would be like a modern day Iran or Iraq. He gets, uh, God tells him, it's kind of vague how he tells him. Um, I want you to leave your country, leave your father's house, and go to the land that um, you will inherit. Is he gonna? Is uh, that I'm promising to you, right? And so he he goes and does that, and so he's out there in the wilderness with his wife and the maidservants and stuff like that. And then you've got, um, I think, you know, uh, so they 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 want a son. They're they're trying to get promised or their God is promising them a son mm -hmm. and it hasn't happened yet. So um, Sarah is suggesting that oh we well I, we need an heir because right now it's gonna be who is it Eleazar? Yes. Of... Uh, so Eleazar was the uh, a child that was born into Abram's house, and so then he grew up in Abram's house and eventually became Abram's right hand man. Okay, yeah. So Eleazar, and then so. Basically, they wanted their own, you know, their own actual heir, his own son, to be the the one who inherits things. So, um, because it wasn't happening yet, uh, so you know, God promises the the baby. I don't know if this is happening in sequence, like the way I'm gonna put it, but God promises um, Abraham and Sarah to have a baby in their old age. Sarah laughs, or Abraham falls on his face and laughs, and God says, "Is is it, you know, is it anything too hard for the Lord?" And so. Um, then it's, you know, not happening. And so Sarah suggests to Abraham, hey, take the Hagar, our maidservant, and go into her and have a, a baby. And basically, so that, that happens, right? And so then Ishmael is born. Um, some time, there's some time in between. And then finally, on the appointed day that God said would actually happen, um, Abraham has Isaac, and he is 100 years old. Um, so yeah, that's as much as I can remember about Isaac. Did I forget, or sorry, about Abraham? Did I forget anything? Um, um was... not not anything terribly important. You know, he came from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, went to Canaan, uh, got did a bunch of stuff in Canaan. Uh, God told him a bunch of things that he was gonna do. Abraham believed most of it. Uh, had a little bit of an issue when Sarah was was complaining about not having an heir, and then uh, like you said, uh. Sarah gave Abram her uh, handmaiden to go and have a child with to be an heir for her. That obviously didn't work out the way God wanted it to. And so ultimately what God did is he provided Abram with an actual real male heir of his own through Sarah. And so what we see is that's Isaac. And then Isaac has a child as well. His child is named Jacob. And so these are the three patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or what you'll sometimes see it called as Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. So Jacob, depending on 
the connotation that the person is trying to have on him will mention either his given name of Jacob or his God-given name of Israel. And so, it's so at one point in, in Jacob's life, he's wrestling with an angel or with God, potentially, and what ultimately happens is that being, we believe, I believe it's God, blesses him and changes his name from Jacob to Israel, which now just stands for the whole nation as an entirety, because in Israel, there is all of the tribes of Israel, right? And so, yeah. Uh, if that, uh, what are, what are the tribes are? I heard this thing on a sermon that was basically, I can't remember. It was, might've been, um, Ray Bentley from Maranatha. Um, he's, uh, and so he basically was, uh, somebody, it might've been him, but he was saying that, um, when a God or this angel touched Jacob on the hip, that it like dislocated his hip. Right. Mm -hmm. And because of that, like Jews don't eat meat. That's like around the hip of like a lamb or something, which is super interesting. Right. Like I didn't like that. That's just in their tradition. And stuff yes. Like that. That so that's that's exactly the case. And there is a a Bible verse that that speaks about that. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. Like, is it somewhere in like like Deuteronomy or something like that? Uh, so the Bible verse where the hip gets dislocated is in Genesis, and I believe in that blurb it says, "And that's why we don't eat that part of the the animal today." I, I believe oh, that's what it says. Oh, so it's got a okay. it, in the book of Genesis. There's a little aside. That says, and that's why we don't eat this today, I, oh, I believe, okay. if if memory serves me. But um, yeah, so uh, you know, there Abraham, Isaac. So Isaac, his son. There's, I don't believe there's a whole lot about his story, but where we really start. Oh, oh sorry. So Isaac has two He's children come with with the, like uh, has to do with his wife, like the whole interaction between Isaac and his wife, right? There's so like a little bit of a story there. Uh, so between Isaac and his wife, uh, what it is, is uh, Isaac has two, two sons named Jacob and Esau, and they were twins. And so Jacob and Esau, uh, 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 so Esau comes, uh, so Jacob comes out, his, uh, ankle comes out first and they tie a red, uh, like uh, they tie something around his ankle. I believe it's a red, like, like, uh, a little piece of cloth and but then his foot goes back in and ultimately uh esau comes out first and is the firstborn so he's the firstborn by his mother and then the second born is jacob but he had that red thing on his foot so he kind of came out first so it's a it's an interesting story but basically uh esau gets all the blessings as the firstborn or is supposed to get all the blessings as the firstborn and so the story of Jacob and Esau is how Esau ultimately doesn't value that status and that blessing that he's supposed to have. And he gives it away in one instance. He gives away his birthright to Jacob. For and some soup. For some soup. And then in another instance, you see Jacob and his mother conniving and contriving to, uh, to uh, lie to his father and steal the blessing that is supposed to go to Esau and to have that blessing instead go to Jacob. And so we see in that story a lot of interesting things that are going on. Obviously, that's not what God wanted for them to happen. God didn't want the blessing to be stolen that way. But Jacob and his mother took that into their own hands and sinned in order to make that happen. 
Okay. It was totally his mom's idea. Who it was, mm-hmm. it was like her suggestion to him. Yes. Like, hey, we're gonna go make this meal, and you're gonna dress up as like your brother. <laughs> it was just so crazy. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, it just, it's interesting that she just starts, or the Bible just records her already rolling into these suggestions, and it doesn't give context as to why the mom wants the younger child to have the birthright. Well, but if maybe we, there's something, so, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would, I would guess that um, what is happening there is a pretty typical mother-son, you know, family dynamic. One of the sons goes out and is a hunter and is away from home all the time and is just out in the woods being a, a crazy, you know, very early on man, like a man in Canaan and what was this like, two thousand BC. <laughs> so he's just out roughing it in the woods and just loving his life hunting out out there away from mom whereas uh, uh Jacob Jacob's back at back at home being more of a like a, a domestic person and so he's back at home hanging out with mom all day being a little mama's boy and so that's where I'm guessing that that relationship took root Esau's out away from mom doesn't care what mom has to say Jacob's back at home you know, helping mom out with all the stuff at home where she can love on him and, and develop that relationship. That would be my guess just based on the information that we have. And so again, that's just a guess. We don't, we aren't told that in scripture and I certainly don't have any special revelation on the relationship between Jacob and his mother, but you know, we can kind of see those sorts of relationships and those sorts of things happen in our own families, you know, even today where mothers will prefer, you know, one child that's kind of more at home more often and the other child that goes out and does, you know, whatever else isn't around as much and, and that doesn't build up the same relationship. Uh, and so it's interesting what we see in these scenarios where God actually allows the birthright and the, the blessing to go to someone who isn't the firstborn. And what we see in a number of different places is the firstborn or the first choice gets passed over for the actual real person that God had in mind for that blessing. So that's what happened in this story that wasn't the way God wanted it to happen necessarily or the way God would have had it done if in a sinful in a sinless way, but sinfully they tricked their their father and Jacob ended up getting the blessing. So then he actually has to run away from home. So he goes and he runs away from home. His mom sets him up and says, go back this direction. And he escapes his brother's wrath. He thinks that his brother's going to kill him, which is possible <laughs> after stealing the blessing like he did. And so uh, he escapes. He goes and he finds a man. I can't remember the man's name. Do you remember the man's name by any chance that he, he escapes to? Is it? It's not Nathan. It's. Oh, I wouldn't know this. Yeah. This is a, so. This is an obscure one. <laughs> Uh, so he goes and he works for a man who has two daughters named Leah and Rachel. And so Rachel is the one that he agrees. So uh, Jacob sets up a deal with this man. And as part of the deal, Jacob will work for seven years for this man. And after seven years, he will gain the right to marry his daughter. Specifically, he says Rachel. What ends up happening is as part of the after the seven years of work is completed he ends up going through a marriage ceremony but they covered uh the daughter's face with the veil and after the ceremony had already been completed and after everything had been consummated 
uh, Jacob finds out that instead of marrying Rachel, the one that he had worked for, she's the younger daughter. The older daughter, Leah, had to be married off first because apparently there is a custom among their people that you can't marry off the younger daughter till the older daughter is married. So what ends up happening is he then renegotiates the deal and decides to give this man another seven years of his labor in order to get his real wife that he really wanted, Rachel. And so these two women become the matriarchs of Israel, along with their handmaids, in a very similar story to what happened with Abraham and Sarah. Uh, and yeah, so that's kind of the story of what goes on there. Ultimately, uh, Jacob becomes Israel. They're the same person. And he has 12 children who end up being called the tribes of Israel. What do you mean Jacob is Israel or that they're the same person? Yeah, so uh, Jacob's name got changed to Israel. So as we saw earlier, where Abram got his name changed to Abraham and where Sarah, Sarai got her name changed to Sarah, uh, we see that God changes people's names at his discretion when different major events happen in their lives. In this instance, Jacob ends up wrestling with an angel oh, or with God. Happened? Yes. Was when they were wrestling? Oh, cool. so that okay. the, the name change was part of the blessing at the end. Uh, and okay. so, and what you'll see throughout the Bible... You have wrestled with God and won, or mm -hmm. something like that, yeah. Yeah, that, that's pretty close. You have wrestled with God and, you know, he didn't die. <laughs> yeah. He put up a good fight. But, uh, but yeah, so he ends up getting his name changed. Uh, and but, but what's interesting about Jacob is we'll see him referred to as Jacob and Israel interchangeably. Whereas after Abraham gets his name changed, I don't believe it ever goes back to using Abraham in the to using Abram in the Bible again. So that's an interesting little thing. What is it called when um, Christ appears in the Old Testament? A uh, theophany. What do you think? Um, Jacob wrestling with that angel was a theophany. I I believe so. I believe that that okay. was a a pre New Testament incarnation of Jesus Christ. We also see him show up in the burning uh, oven, in the furnace, where oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, are put in the oven in Daniel. Uh, I that, that is my belief. So there's other people that don't believe that that's a theophany. Uh, that's up to your interpretation. So. Okay, all right. And so uh, Jacob or Israel has um, those, um, those 12 sons. Let me... If I could... Did you end up already saying the the twelve tribes? No, I ha I haven't said the the twelve tribes. Uh, we have gone over those tribes in the past. I mentioned a couple of the uh, the really important ones that you'll see crop up. The the kings all come out of a tribe called Judah. The priests all come out of a tribe called Levi. Uh, there's other oh. tribes that have different uh, different things about them, and so yeah, they're they're all really important, of course. Uh, there's also a belief in some modern Christian denominations or, or systems of belief that says that there are 10 lost tribes of Israel. That is not the case. There are 12 tribes of Israel today. There's always been 12 tribes of Israel. And the modern descendants of Jews can know which tribes that they are a part of or which tribes are their they're historically that they've been uh that they came from 
So there's, like I said, there's a lot of people that believe that there's lost tribes, and that is just a, a factual inaccuracy, and that is incorrect. So. Yeah, they might, they're probably trying to say something like, there is a family that we don't recognize as a connection to this um, other family, and like that's probably kind of what they mean by like a lost tribe. Like you know, like that uh, the the Indian island people. That's kind of what the, they're probably. It's kind of like a lost tribe thing, but it's probably like they're they're de, they're relatives of these people. You know what I mean? So it's it's probably something like that. Like I don't know the way they're um, talking about lost tribes is probably just distant relatives of people we know. You know? So uh, you know, just to get into a little bit, since you're asking the question, uh, the reason that they say that there's lost tribes is at a certain point. Israel split into two. So at a certain late, oh. way later on in the story. So we're talking after the Pentateuch, once we're into the king kingdom area of Israel or kingdom era of Israel, what we see is that the, uh, I just lost where I was going with this. I'm sorry. So we were, we were talking about, Oh, the 12 lost tribes. So after King Solomon dies, the, the nation is split into two Rehoboam, leads in is the king over one jeroboam is the king over the other and in that time they believe that 10 of the tribes were lost and that's just not the case the 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 faithful that were in all 10 tribes went to the south where they were able to worship god and then the unfaithful went north where they didn't worship god and so that's kind of the story there of the lost tribes but again that's that's a whole whole separate story from from what we're going over right now with okay, um, two uh, yeah. quick things. So, um, so did, did you have the list of the tribes to read real quick? Yeah, so that list is going to be the tribe of Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. These mm -hmm. are the sons of Jacob. And I, I was going to ask you a really quick question. So for next week... We're gonna do it. Um, we're gonna start on the story of Joseph because um, after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you've got the twelve sons of Jacob, and then I wanted to hone in on Joseph because that's the last thing right before Exodus, and Exodus is gonna be cool because that's where we get the Ten Commandments and all that mm -hmm. good stuff. Let my people go. But also, I wanted to basically. You said all the kings came from Judah and all the priests came from Levi. Does Jesus? have anything to do with uh, he does but what does the tribe of levi and judah have to do with jesus do either of them have to do with Jesus? because jesus is a priest and he's also mm -hmm. a king so yep. it's like uh, is there any information there like related yeah. to the tribe of levi and judah or in jesus so uh out, jesus is uh described as being out of the root of jesse and uh his family comes from the tribe of judah okay so Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. He is not a Levite in any way, shape, or form, to my knowledge. And he has no special role from any lineage of the tribe of Levi. And so Jesus Christ can claim to be king over Israel because of his lineage through Judah. But oh. he can claim to be a priest, and he is our high priest in the lineage of Melchizedek, as Hebrews explains to us, as the book of Hebrews explains to us. Really interesting. So did you go as far as saying that David was also in the line of Melchizedek? Yeah, yeah. so David's in the uh, David is not in the line of Melchizedek. David's in the line of Judah. He is he's uh part of the 
uh, yeah. I, I'm not understanding something. Um, how do Melchizedek, the line of Melchizedek meet Jesus, and the line of David meet Jesus, but Melchizedek and David don't meet so, each other? So, uh, we're talking about uh, genealogies versus uh, uh, religious practices. So, oh, genealogically, okay. genealogically, Jesus is in the line of David. David is not genealogically in the same line as Melchizedek. Melchizedek being a Gentile, uh, he is outside of the, the Judaic inheritance. But, but Jesus Christ is described as being a high priest in the line of Melchizedek. And, we, and the other thing we don't know about Melchizedek is he doesn't have a genealogy. So he didn't get his high priest status from any genealogy that we know of in the oh, Bible. Oh, and it was like through the worship of God. It was God, like... however he, he attained it, God gave it to him. God told him he was just worshiping God. However he attained that, we don't know. That's, up, that's between Melchizedek and God. But when Abraham offered to melchizedek the 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 spoils of war or the tithe that's when he showed that melchizedek really is of god most high and he is someone that jesus could then be in the line of that would supersede the line of the levites so jesus high priesthood supersedes the line of the, the levitical high priesthood because through uh, abraham because the levites were still in their father abraham they gave tithe to melchizedek it's a whole, it's a whole uh, 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 mathematical formula, essentially, that Hebrews goes through, the book of Hebrews. So if you're interested in that, you can go check that out in that book. It's a, it's a tongue twister for sure, trying to, <laughs> trying to say that, not alone, let alone just, you know, think about how that all works out. So. Yeah. Uh, um, so, did you have anything really quick? Yeah, uh, you know, when we get into it, the story of Joseph, uh, that's the last, I believe, about 10 chapters of Genesis before we get into Exodus. That's a really cool story. I, I would highly recommend going and reading that if you're not someone who reads the Bible regularly. It's just a good story, and it's a, it's a lot of fun to read, and will uh, show you a lot about how kind of God works and, and kind of the way that that he set it up for, Jake, for uh, Joseph to be saved despite the the plotting and the everything that went around went on around him so i would just highly recommend that you uh you read that for next week we will we'll try to go through and cover that story uh then i believe right yeah yeah because um joseph is long enough that you said you know 10 chapters so um we, we can definitely we're it would, i don't think it'd be two hours i'm thinking if we you know, put 10 minutes to each chapter and kind of like explained everything that was going on. It'd be like an hour and 20, maybe even less. So I think we could also pick up um, maybe the beginning of Exodus too, and kind of just talk about some stuff there, but um, we can go over that, you know? Yeah. Um, we'll, uh, we'll see what ends up happening next week. We're not making any, any promises here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we, it's possible. We just skip it all entirely. We'll, we'll see where we're at. He, he might have some other great questions for us, but. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, what we're looking definitely, at. Definitely. Um, but yeah, any, anything else, any other questions about this? Kind of we're wrapping up the first part of Genesis and, and the first part of the Bible. Oh, no. No, everything has been um, c covered pretty good. It was uh, it was interesting um, learning about, you know, pre, 
pre-flood stuff, um, and then Noah and post-flood things, and then we get all the way to um, um, Abraham, and then the stuff that's going on. Uh, Abraham is the start of the Jewish nation, and you got the covenant that's being started right there. So there's a lot. Uh, Genesis is definitely a jam-packed book. Um, I think if you've never read it, you owe it to yourself to read it. It's a great read, and yeah, I, I, I like what we've discussed so far, and we're going to wrap up with Joseph. I think that's going to cover it pretty good. And, definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, I just want to reiterate that I think that both Austin and I take the, the book of Genesis very seriously, and in many places very literally. You know, I, I believe that these people really existed. I believe that these events really happened and that they're not just some, you know, fairy tale or mythology that we tell our children so that they obey us and don't, you know, don't do I bad things. I believe it over a college history textbook <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, and, and you look at those textbooks and they change. Every 10 years, every 20 years, it's it's different history because we've learned new things. What's never happened is no one's ever contradicted the Bible and had that ultimately turn out to be the truth. And so no, we're actually proving these things to be true. It's quite the opposite. It, you know, it's pretty nuts. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, do you have any more questions for me? No, I think that's gonna, that's gonna do it. So, uh, where, where can we find all your stuff, Ryan? Yeah. So if you want to see some more of the stuff that I'm putting out personally, you can check that out over at, as it is written on basically everything, uh, you can go to aiiw.org to find all of my stuff. And how about you, Austin? Where where can we find your stuff outside of this? Um, basically, social-wise, it's just going to be Faithful Dialogues. That's pretty much it. And then um, any uh, as far as the Apostles' Attic, that is the Gospel-Centered Christ clothing line. Um I encourage everybody to go check it out, and we're gonna do a uh, shirt giveaway at 50 YouTube followers. So yeah, I'm still still really excited about that. Or subscribers, sorry, uh, 50 YouTube subscribers, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to to seeing how that's gonna go down. That's uh, exciting, and uh, I've had a wonderful time uh, talking with you today, Austin. Thanks for taking your Saturday morning to to have this dialogue, and I'm excited for next week. So we will see you then. Uh, goodbye. Bye, everybody.